When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. We hear a lot about Web3 lately, and you know, big brands like Adidas or Louis Vuitton, they're going Web3 because they're launching an NFT, for example. Web3 is much more. Web3 is the promise of a better self-sovereign internet, is the promise of owning your own data. Web3 is the way also to achieve financial sovereignty and facilitates the creation of different internet. So in essence, Web3 is both a philosophy of how our internet should be built and the internet that we would want to have in the future. Welcome to Euronews Tech Talks, the podcast that delves into the pressing question shaping Europe's digital landscape. I'm your host, James Thomas. In our previous episode, we went to Europe's crypto valley to try to understand how blockchain technology really works and discussed trust in decentralized banking systems and looked at how renewable energy is impacting Bitcoin mining. But blockchain technology is about more than just cryptocurrency. In this episode, we're in conversation with two guests who will take us further into the world of blockchain, tech expert Maria Paula Fernandez and Professor Alex Preda. So get ready to get acquainted with Web3, NFTs and smart contracts. We also asked, is blockchain ever going to be mainstream in Europe? Should I get a digital wallet right after this conversation? Here's our discussion. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm pretty excited to talk about what's good about Europe in the light of the US having so many problems with crypto. So yeah, I have a company in the US, but I'm based in Berlin. Yeah, so you very much have like, well, an eye on both of them then I assume. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. First of all, I'm Maria Paula Fernandez. I am originally from Argentina, but I have been living in Germany, in Berlin. For the past 10 years, I'm the co-founder of a project that builds a NFT infrastructure, and I have been in the, working in Web3 since 2017. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm Alex Preda, and I'm a professor of professions, markets, and technology at King's Business School, King's College, London. And yeah, we're very happy to have you here with us. 
So I wanted to start by talking about blockchain, which seems to be the big buzzword at the moment. And I have to admit, I only have a very rudimentary understanding of it. So I was wondering if you could give a brief overview of what it is. Okay. Um, so the first thing to understand about the blockchain is that it's infrastructure that's uh, allowing a cryptocurrency to be transacted. The way that it works is transactions are generated between peers and this transaction needs to be verified by different nodes in order to be approved and passed. On top of blockchains, you can build different applications, different protocols as well. You can build currency. So in essence, blockchain is like a mesh where you're able to build different applications that might be used for many different things from decentralized finance to insurance and even art. Fantastic. That is something I was going to come on to because I feel like we only seem to hear about blockchain in the context of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Indeed, lots of people seem to think that they're all interchangeable terms. So I just wanted to know yeah, what services uh, can blockchain provide beyond cryptocurrency? There's many things that actually don't need a blockchain, you know, for example, spreadsheets or phone services. But there's things that need the fundamental benefits of a blockchain, for example, financial services, which I think are extremely interesting and transcend the currencies. Financial services can be mortgages, financial services can be different ways of creating investment strategies for people, derivatives, and anything that you see on traditional finance can be replicated on top of the blockchain with the added benefit of it being a transparent ledger with immediate results. Well, multiple applications, especially when it comes to authenticating processes, identities, products, preserving records. To give you a couple of examples, if you have a digital record, something like a digital photograph on blockchain, then it becomes more difficult uh, to modify elements. We know from the past that in many cases, especially when it comes to political events, um, visual evidence such as a photograph can be manipulated. When you store this evidence on blockchain, tampering with it uh, becomes much more difficult. Why do we only think of crypto when talking about blockchain? Or why is that the main thing so far that seems to have come out of blockchain? Uh, it has received a lot of media attention. We've had some spectacular failures in the recent uh, past and collapses of trading platforms. FTX comes immediately to mind. And such events, of course, led to some extent, I believe, to a situation where the other applications do not uh, receive so much uh, media exposure and uh, so much public attention. Uh, so what do you think we can do to um, kind of stop the trading of cryptocurrencies from overshadowing the, the, the engineering and the software behind crypto assets and blockchain? Well, uh, we are getting there now with more and more regulation 
not only in the European Union, but also in the UK and on the other side of the Atlantic, in the United States. I'm not saying that regulation of crypto trading has been fully finalized. It's an ongoing process, that's true. Same happens in Asian jurisdictions, Japan. Uh, Japan has been uh, one of the first countries to, to regulate uh, crypto trading. So we, we are part of an ongoing process in, in this respect. You mentioned Europe there. So what are your thoughts on the current regulatory landscape for um, crypto in Europe and and, and how do European countries contribute to fostering innovation and and driving the development of of blockchain in, in this regard? Um, in Europe, it's really good because we already have crypto regulations that are called MICA, M-I-C-A, and MICA is actually a quite good regulatory framework. The level of sophistication that Mika is able to cater to lots and lots of use cases, present and future, and that is absolutely fantastic. I work with the US, there's nothing like this. Uh, All of the regulations are part of political agendas, and it's very difficult to get anything passed. So in essence, they're fighting all the time. So we're in a really favorable environment. A lot of companies have started moving or establishing subsidiaries in Europe. And of course, it has to be said that Ethereum chose Zug in Switzerland and Berlin to get started because already back then in 2014, 2013, the evolution of the frameworks that allowed blockchain and Web3 technologies to exist in Europe were promising. Non-fungible tokens are not covered by MICA. So I was expecting here that more regulation is to come. But the second part of your question was about what the European Union can do in uh, this respect to foster innovation. There are several things to be said here. Number one, there was a recent report um, produced by the European Investment Bank. And what they found uh, was that um, technological innovation within the fintech is unequally distributed across the European Union. You have particular poles of innovation here and development, Netherlands, Germany, France, uh, but Southern Europe is, by comparison, uh, less advanced uh, in this sense. Number two, the European Investment Bank also found that the European Union um, lags behind uh, North America and to some extent only behind East Asia. So there is more to be done here. So we've talked a lot about the European Union. What about sort of other European countries? And I know you're based in London and I hate to bring up the dreaded B word, Mm -hmm. but Brexit, has that (laughs) helped or hindered the UK? (laughs) Is it keeping in step with the EU? Is it lagging behind? Is it in front? Like, how has that affected things? Well, when it comes to innovation within this fintech area and uh, blockchain, uh, the UK has been for a long time a front runner. And um, it has remained so. Also, when it comes to venture capital, the UK uh, receives more than half of the investments uh, related to blockchain. I'm looking at it now. I think it's 63%. Yeah, I've often heard that one of the big advantages of blockchain is that it cuts out the the middleman, essentially. And obviously, you, you mentioned 
uh, financial services and banks, so often that means a central bank. Is there another example of how a middleman can be cut out in that sense? One of the things is issuing any kind of certificate that needs to be secure and immutable. For example, DocuSign, the platform that everyone uses to execute contracts, has tried different blockchain integrations. Another example can be property titles as well um, that can be generated by making the transaction and then being verified on the blockchain. Of course, there's plenty of use cases with regards to arts as well, where a transaction between an artist and a collector doesn't need to have a middleman. And of course, any example that implies the use of smart contracts, which are little executable programs that run autonomously on different blockchains. One of them, the most popular one is Ethereum. They don't need middleman because the smart contract can perform most of the operations and the rest of the operations would happen between the peers. One of the stigmas of blockchain is that it can somehow facilitate fraud or could be used for fraudulent means. Is that true? We have to distinguish here between different layers of a blockchain. So we have what we would call a layer one, this network of nodes of operators coupled with a distributed ledger. And on layer two, we have different applications, digital applications and operations. And when it comes to some operations, yes, there have been cases in the past, but not on layer one. If you look at the blockchain overall, I think the more decentralized blockchain is, the more secure it becomes when it comes to tampering. You raised some really interesting points there, but now I kind of want to look more widely into Web3. So could you please explain what is Web3 and how do we access it? For sure. So Web3 is composed of many things that form decentralized, trustless and permissionless internet. But I think we we better focus on, you know, why do we need a better internet? So a few years ago, it was brought to light that Web2 platforms like Facebook were commercializing, abusing our data and adjusting their algorithms to show us different parts of reality in different ways or tweaking the reality. Web3 aims to prevent all of this by generating a self-sovereign internet where you know exactly where your data is going. In practice, that is quite complicated to achieve and Web3 is on its nascent stage, but there are different building blocks of Web3 that are already active and working really well. The examples are in decentralized finance, where you can access a whole financial system that allows you to take mortgages, that allows you to uh, buy different bonds and exchange coins in a completely decentralized way with no intermediaries, where you are the full owner of everything and you obviously also assume the full risk. And another part of Web3 that works quite well is, of course, NFTs, where, you know, that has blown up a little bit out of proportion. Maybe I got a bit ahead of myself there and, and maybe I should have asked you to explain maybe what Web1 and Web2 were. 
Well, um, you know, what, for instance, you could send an email and then receive a reply. And uh, maybe you could browse some news. In Web2, you could do much more. You could order a book from an online bookstore, or you could book a flight. And uh, in Web3, we should be able to conduct um, financial services such as banking services, banking operations on a totally different type of, uh, of interface. Uh, we should be able to transact digital products and authenticate transactions in a safe way. We should be able to transact cultural products when, for instance, creating a stream of, of royalties um, without intermediaries for musicians uh, or for digital artists. So it's a disintermediation process coupled with virtual reality, in some cases augmented reality format. That's what uh, Web3 is expected to do, but we are not there yet. So by if, far not. So if, am I right in thinking then Web1 is very static internet, you know, you just read a web page. Web2 is maybe more interactive, you know, social media and the like, and then Web3 is... Or yeah, like you say, augmented reality. Is that kind of the gist? Yes. Great. So you mentioned NFTs a couple of times, non-fungible tokens, and I'm glad you did because I was wondering if you could just explain it for beginners like myself. Because apart from these monkey pictures that I see on Twitter, I don't really know that much about it. So what is an NFT? All right. So you go with your parents, with your family to buy new clothes and you buy something like a T-shirt, right? And in the store, the T-shirt comes with a tag, uh, right? And tag specifies size, uh, material, and so on and so forth. But when you start wearing the T-shirt, you're removing that physical tag. An NFT, a non-fungible token, is like that kind of tag, but it's digital, it's not on paper, and it remains attached to a digital product so that you can authenticate it at all times. So it's an identifier, and it can be used for many um, all types of online interactions and transactions. I hope I explained it well enough. You did. Honestly, I do think I understand it a lot more now. But yeah, so then where do these monkey pictures come into it? It's a long story, but to make it short, we have a series of processes here. First of all, uh, we uh, we have uh, digital collectibles. A number of uh, people like to collect. Uh, you know, we, we are collecting football cards, baseball cards. And this activity of collecting has expanded into the digital domain. And if you want to authenticate your collection, uh, how do you do that if it's a collection of digital objects. So this is where the NFTs come into play at this level. So NFTs are extremely versatile objects as well. They can be art, but they can also be property titles. They can also be financial instruments and they can be anything that requires non-fungibility and verification. There is a whole part of NFTs that has to do with collectibles, like the monkey pictures that you mentioned. And I think that's the way that we have to appeal to the masses. It's like selling toys or actually selling very expensive toys. But there's other parts of NFTs that tie directly to the history of digital art and to the history of early computing art. 
digital art has been very undervalued for many, many decades before NFTs came to light. And now we have a digital art in the biggest auction houses in the world. We have institutions like the Centre Pompidou collecting NFTs. And also NFTs can be used as medium as you would use a paintbrush. For example, you can use the NFT to represent different parts of a conceptual art piece as well. And since they are also very programmable, you can program the NFTs to do different things that are connected to the visual output of the art as well. So you've mentioned that you spend uh, most of your time building cultural infrastructure for Web3's cultural objects. Mm -hmm. Is AI uh, one of those staples of Web3? Is that something that when we talk about Web3, it's a real, a real pillar, a real feature of, of mm. the internet of tomorrow? No, not at all. Um, Web3 is something different. Web3 is about owning your data and ChatGPT and AI are about aggregating data and then mixing it up and generating new outputs. So I don't think it's a pillar. We're building a different internet, a better internet. We're building currency and this currency is actually a life-saving technology. I come from Argentina, which is a country that right now it's at 105% of inflation. Argentina needs cryptocurrencies to survive. It's extremely important to rely on a currency that's more stable and more trustworthy than the peso. You know, Argentina is also not the only example. The whole Latin America is like this. Nigeria has been the top adopter of cryptocurrency. Yeah, the EU does say on the Commission website that it wants to be a leader in blockchain technology and regulation and becoming an innovator in blockchain. So I take it from what you're saying that you kind of agree that it is there or is becoming is very much a world leader in that sense. Of course, right now, the power of the industry is still in the US. Um, Asia is also very strong. The US is very loud. The bulk of innovation is happening from US hubs, especially in the Bay Area. But Europe has been very strategic in while people were building companies, Europe has been building regulations to welcome them. And it's very easy for people like me to actually, for example, declare taxes. It's very easy for us as well to establish businesses. It's very easy to establish nonprofits that have to deal with blockchain technologies to better educate people. So I do think it's a world leader, contrary to what the marketing of Silicon Valley says. And that leads me on quite nicely to um, my next question. Are these really going to have a positive impact on Europeans' lives and how? I suppose the taxes thing, as we've just mentioned, is something that would really help a, a normal person. But how are these other things going to help uh, the regular European? So you only can do taxes on the blockchain if you have blockchain assets. Oh, um, OK, and... I see, I <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't and... have, so OK, I would need to yeah. get some assets first, I see. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also it's about the fact that, for example, in Berlin, I can declare my crypto coins and the finance authorities are going to understand what they are. And they have coupled the way that one transacts and invests in cryptocurrency with the way that one transacts and invests with private equity. So everything in Germany is actually really straightforward. Maybe in other countries of the EU it's not, but in Germany we're very lucky that way. And with regards to your question on the impact for Europeans, 
I think in Europe, because we are very privileged and we have great systems, it boils down to having alternatives to the systems and it boils down to having the choice to choose cryptocurrencies or to live a life fully in Europe. So would you say that Berlin is one of the, the better places in Europe based on your personal impressions and experiences to offer the development of blockchain and Web3 and all that? We have been doing work since early 2014 on making sure that we have a very strong community. Blockchains are nothing without their communities. So the community of builders in Berlin is really strong. We've had the best technology builders here in Berlin as well. And I believe that, of course, we have competitors. Portugal seems to be also very strong and France is also making it very easy for people to work in blockchain. But I would say that Berlin has the first advantage. What would you hope the future of blockchain in Europe looks like? Um, I think the future of Europe is already looking really bright. It's not as speculative as it is in other parts of the world. And I only wish that we can continue this way and working alongside regulators because regulations are good, prevent us from fraudsters, which are rife all in the blockchain ecosystem, as you probably heard in the news. So yeah, if it continues this way, I'm happy already. Well, I think in the coming years, we will see an expansion of applications beyond this domain of uh, you know, crypto trading. As this domain of trading becomes more and more regulated, we'll see more applications that might appear as mundane, unspectacular, even boring, but they are very important in the end. Do you think that crypto is ever going to become mainstream in Europe? Um, to be honest with you, no. Mainstream in the sense that a significant uh, demographic segment will trade it regularly. I don't see the data pointing in that direction. And it's not only in Europe, um, in other developed economies as well. But will it not become mainstream because Europe and these other parts of the world are yeah, developed and well-regulated, as, as we mentioned before? Or is, is there another reason why it wouldn't become mainstream or dominant? Uh, there is a difference here between becoming mainstream and becoming dominant. If you say becoming mainstream, it will mean that um, more and more citizens will get used to this technology, will get used to having a digital wallet because you need a wallet to operate. This implies a learning process. It's not automatic. Uh, I have a wallet. I, I had to learn how to use it. That uh, for younger demographics, I think, yes, it will become mainstream in this sense. Dominant. Uh, I'm not really sure, because dominant implies something else. It means that this usages of digital wallets and digital assets will become even more important compared with other financial assets. That doesn't mean that they are going to use their wallets 10 times a day and that these wallets are going to replace your usual bank transactions in a very short period of time. Um, that's a very good question. I actually, I would say, I don't know, because when you live in a continent that is honestly quite great, you don't need blockchain for your vital services and adoption comes from these vital services that blockchain can provide to emerging economies. I think with regards to art, there's a really good chance of it happening in the next cycle, which I hope it can be in the next two years. Otherwise, there's a lot of innovation in blockchain that will die because of the down market that we're currently experiencing. 
So that's, yeah, that would be my wildest prediction. Fantastic. So very final question. It's a very open-ended one. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this topic that you think is important, that you think people should know about, that we've not discussed yet? Um, probably it's just a, a recognition to art institutions around Europe that have been at the forefront of understanding and experimenting with smart contracts that help us understand better the benefits and the risks? Well, what I would like to say is that uh, the technology has been changing rapidly. It has attracted a lot of talent, a lot of software engineering expertise. That's very interesting because it has attracted um, collaborations between creative domains, uh, music, uh, digital gaming, and software engineering coming together and finance and management. And out of these collaborations come innovations. This is one of the reasons why the pace of innovation is so, so rapid. That's it for this episode. To learn more about Maria Paula Fernandez's work, you can visit her website, mariapaula.net. And for more information about Dr. Alex Predas, you can visit his professor's profile at the King's College London website. Euronews Tech Talk goes beyond discussions to explore the impact of new technologies on our lives. Do you have any questions about blockchain? We'll find the answers in the following episode. I'm your host, James Thomas. This series is written and produced by Marta Rodriguez-Martinez. Our script editor is Dennis Funk. The theme music is by Leo Lebrun. Sound editing is by Jean-Christophe Marco and sound mixing is by Mathieu Duchesne. Our editor-in-chief is Ali Isan Aden. You can listen to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. For more information on the latest technology around, visit us at Euronews Next. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.